Let's turn to God's Word, to the book of Romans, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 24 to 27, but we'll read from verse 18. It's on page 1128. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. In these words, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Well, this is going to be hard. That's, there's no way around this. Um, it's going to be hard for lots of different reasons. Um, one of them is this, that what I'm going to say this morning will at some point in my lifetime in this country be illegal to say. Uh, it's getting close to that already. It's going to be hard because uh, this week, um, the largest church in Scotland, the Church of Scotland, is about to publicly affirm the exact opposite of this. And for those of you who are conspiracy theorists and think, ah, you're preaching on that because this is happening. No, I'm preaching on this because we're preaching through Romans, and I should have been preaching on this about a month ago, but hospital intervened. So, um, if this was the Lord's intention, he had a strange way of going about it, um, and next time, you know, if I'm charismatic, I'll just say, tell me and I'll do it. Uh, we'll avoid the hospital bit. But it's, it, this really is, what I'm trying to say is, this is where we're at, and it's inverted commas, coincidence, that it's this Sunday that we're doing this. This is going to be hard because it's hard for us, especially our children, because they're being brought up in a society where they're being taught the exact opposite. And it's hard being countercultural and different. Everyone goes, oh, we're countercultural and radical. And the answer is, no, you're not. You just go along with the countercultural culture. But we have to be different because we follow the Word of God. And if the, bio, if the culture goes against the Word of God, we have to be different. But it's also hard because there are some of you here who will struggle with your own temptations and difficulties as regards sex and sexuality, which is clearly what this passage is about. And I want you to know, if you were here and let's say, for example, you were homosexual or lesbian or whatever, I want you to know that you are welcome in this church. This is not a personal thing against you or against anybody else. I want you to know that you're welcome but I also want you to know that the same thing applies to you as applies to me and to everybody else. All of our values, all of our desires are challenged by what God's Word says, and all of us have to live with that challenge. I know it's a cliche, 
but I have some very good friends who are uh, what they would call, they prefer the phrase, same-sex attracted. And uh, if you want help with that, first of all, you can ask, but also there's a wonderful um, website, livingout.org, which is Christians who accept what the Bible's teaching is, but they also describe themselves as same-sex attracted and how they live uh, with that. But it is difficult, and it's also difficult for those of us who say work colleagues or family or friends who may have a different perspective, different views, and so there's enormous pressure. And that is why, one by one, major evangelical churches in the United States are giving up on the Bible's teaching on this. It's why in this country, the church has capitulated in so many ways, including many who call themselves evangelical. But I want us to look at this in a, in a kind of broad picture thing so that you can see why it is so important. Uh, and I just, I'll stress it again. We don't want anything to do with what people call homophobia or disliking people or, uh, because of sexuality and so on. I really don't want anything to do with that. But there's a reason. Paul, in it, the teaching here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, stresses the importance of this in a culture which was like ours as we will see in the Roman culture, and he's showing us how as Christians we can be faithful to God whilst at the same time reaching out with the good news of the gospel. So, just to go back a little bit, to get the broad sweep, verse 18, uh, 19, 20, 21, tell us that every human being has sufficient knowledge about God that they are without excuse. In other words, as he'll go on to say in chapter 2, both internally in the moral law we have within us and externally in the creation, we are taught about God's power, about God's uh, divine nature, and we are taught sufficiently that we understand. But what Paul then goes on to say is we squash that knowledge, we suppress that knowledge. I like uh, what Rod Dreher in the Benedict Option says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork, says the psalmist. The sense that the material world discloses the working of the transcendent order was present in ancient philosophy and in many world religions, even monotheistic ones like Taoism. Metaphysical realism tells us that the awe we feel in the presence of nature, beauty, or goodness, the feeling that there must be more than what we experience with our senses is a reasonable intuition doesn't tell us who God is, but it tells us that we are not imagining things. Something or someone is there. But that's just another way of saying that every single human being has this connection, awareness. Um, there's something more. We're not just animals. There's something more. And the creation tells us that there is God. Now, what the devil does is the devil does his best to distort that knowledge, and what humans do is we exchange that truth for a lie. And I want to suggest to you that what our culture is being founded on is a lie. And I want to suggest to you that when the church at its assembly um, in Edinburgh next week affirms what God condemns, it is doing so based upon a lie. And the church of all to do that is just appalling. I'm going to keep the broad picture and think of something that uh, 
we call worldview, how we perceive things, how we see things. As you can see, I have these glasses on, but I have some really cool glasses because these ones were expensive. And so they said to me, would you like prescription sunglasses? And I said, why not? So I have prescription sunglasses and one day I will forget. Uh, like the day I cycled down here with black shorts and a, and a, and a t-shirt and left all my clothes at home and thought I was going to end up preaching like that. One day I'll come down with these dark sunglasses and you'll think, wow, how cool is Dave? Um, just because of the dark sunglasses. But I have these dark sunglasses, but you know what these dark sunglasses do? Um, they make everything appear dark. I, I see everything from that perspective. That's fine when it's glorious sunshine, as we, we had a busload of Singaporeans here yesterday, and I told them it was always sunshine in Dundee, except yesterday. Um, well, we have this glorious sunshine, and that's fine, you see clearly, but when it's not sunny, then just everything appears miserable and dark, and one day I forgot I had them on, and I was thinking, oh, it's pretty gloomy here, and then I took off my glasses and realized I'm seeing things through these dark glasses. Well, we see the world, and we see God through a worldview, and what our kids are being taught in schools, and what people are being taught in the media is the worldview of our culture, and it quickly becomes part of what we are. Now, the Bible tells us here that our foolish hearts are darkened. We suppress the truth within us. We suppress the transcendent. We suppress the something more. There is a darkness that lies upon us. Some of you will have suffered depression, and probably, in fact, some of you here will be suffering depression. And it's very hard to tell people who've never experienced depression what depression is. Because, you know, some people might just say snap out of it or, or whatever, but if you could, you would. But you can't. Because I, I love the way, I mean, one of my favorite depressives, if you like, is William Cowper. And when he talks about uh, and writes about the darkness of the soul and the, the, the heaviness, and sometimes it's almost like a physical heaviness. Well, in a strange kind of way, if you're depressed, you know that. But there are many people who are not clinically depressed in that way, and yet there's a darkness upon us, and we don't see the glory of the light of Jesus in the gospel. I believe that we are operating in this culture at this time, the same as in the Roman culture at that time, against a very dark background, and that the truth is being suppressed. Now, the darker the background, I would argue that the more the light will, will show the contrast, but we'll see what that involves. Verse 24 then, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. This is so important to get. It's so important to grasp. God's punishment of us is not primarily that He comes and afflicts us with something. So, somebody might think, and this is classic in a works religion, it's classic, um, for example, in a religion like Buddhism, there's somebody who's disabled. Why are they disabled? It's their karma because they were bad in a previous life. So, bad things happen as a punishment. Well, that's, you know, it's just a bizarre view of how the world is. It's, it, 
It's not true according to the Scriptures, and I go by the Scriptures. I was once on a, a radio program, uh, one of these kind of question time programs, and the presenter, Leslie Riddick, started with me. I was with, on with a couple of politicians, and he said, David, Caledonia and McBrain have started their services to Lewis on the Sabbath, and their, their ferry has broken down. Is this the Lord's punishment? Great question to get for the, you know, I've come on all about politics and everything else, and that's the first question I get. Well, my answer was um, maybe a bit flippant. Well, I said, if that's the case, she said, does the Lord, um, is the Lord angry with Caledonian McBrain, the ferry company? And I said, well, if that's the case, he must really hate British Rail. Um, <laughs> and she laughed and she said, oh, a wee free minister with a sense of humor. So, um, but that is the perspective, you know, isn't it, that people look at and say, oh, well, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And sometimes there's an element of truth in that, isn't there? There, is a, there are consequences to what we do. You go out, get drunk, get in a car and drive, you crash and you kill somebody, that's a direct consequence of what you've done. Um, I'm not, you know, 100% well at the moment, and I know right now if I went home, uh, got myself a Big Mac, then came back and had some fish and chips, and then a cream bun and so on, I'm going to end up back in hospital fairly soon. It would be a direct consequence of what I would do. So that can happen. But that very simplistic view of the world, good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, is demonstrably untrue. And here, we are being told that God's wrath is revealed simply by God handing us over to what we want. Now, this is not God being passive and stepping back and saying, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. What this is God doing is he's saying, you choose this, okay, here you are. I'm giving you what you have chosen. It's a bit like the prodigal son. You know, in the story of the prodigal son, the son comes, the younger son comes and says, give me all my inheritance. And the father gives it to him. Well, we go to God and we demand our freedom and we demand to live our lives the way that we want. We demand to do it our way. And the worst thing that God can ever do to us is to say, yes, okay. But that's what hap what's happened. C.S. Lewis describes it in this way. How, um, they enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. In uh, his wonderful book, The Great Divorce, they enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. The Bible always holds these two things together. God gives us over, we give ourselves over. Earlier in this chapter, he's mentioned idolatry, and we, we looked at that last week. But now he turns to sexual sin, and we need to ask why. It's a paradox that we live in a culture that's obsessed with sex, and yet any time we mention it, they say, oh, you're always on about sex. No, um, in fact, we're not. We, we teach through the Bible, and the Bible has a much more balanced perspective than our culture. Our, our culture is dominated by a kind of Freudian view uh, and by the immediate sensual aspects. But Paul uses it here to talk about what happens when we turn away from God, what happens when we become idolatrous. And he talks about this passionate desire for sinful pleasures. 
and he says that we degrade our bodies with one another. See, we, the Bible doesn't teach that your body is rubbish. The Bible doesn't teach that there's the spiritual side and the body, forget about the body. Your body is extraordinary, and your body is something that God has given to you. If you're a Christian, it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. But what humans do with their bodies and what we do to other bodies is so often degrading. And we know, surely you know, what degrading means. Um, I have a confession to make. Maybe I was a strange child, strange adult. I've never been drunk in my life. And before I was a Christian, it was nothing to do with Christianity. It was simply to do with this, partly stubbornness, because all my friends were getting drunk. So I don't why they say, oh, come on, Dave, come and join in. No, why? But mainly because I saw what it did. I, I had a friend who got blazing drunk, went out at night, I got absolutely beaten up. And the next day came in, couldn't remember, black eyes, broken nose, everything. Oh, wasn't that a great night last night? I said, you're, you're a clown. You got humiliated. You got beaten up. It was utterly degrading. And you, yet, you, you think it was great. No, there's so much that human beings do that is degrading. We, we, we want people, we want to give people dignity. Why did the Nazis strip their victims completely naked before they put them in the gas chambers. They didn't have to. It wasn't organization. They could have killed them and then taken their clothes. It was part of the humiliating, degrading, so that when they did kill them, they didn't see them as human beings. They just saw them as, as cattle to be slaughtered, vermin to be slaughtered. And that's why part of all this is so important, because when we treat ourselves just as bodies to, and other people just as bodies to be used, it is so degrading. That's what's wrong with pornography. Pornography is, is degrading both to the participants in it and it's degrading to the people who look at it. There's a reason you feel ashamed, because it is degrading. So, you're given over. Verse 25, he goes on, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul, even in the midst of something that's so dark and serious, finds time to stop and praise God. Because what he's doing, he's setting up a contrast. Here's the glory of God. Here's the beauty of God. Here's the wonder of God. Here's the Creator. Here He is in all His magnificence. And what have we done? We've exchanged that glory for a lie. We've exchanged it for falsehood. The great God is to be worshipped, but we've listened to the father of lies. Ephesians 4.25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Or 2 Thessalonians 2.10, all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. 
They worshipped and served created things, their own bodies. Now, you see the connection here. Turning away from God, false worship, idolatry, leads to sexual immorality. We live in a culture which has lots of false worship, and we serve our own bodies. You just read any uh, magazine, and it's a bit depressing. Um, nothing wrong with going to the gym. I'm not saying for just... Um, that's why you have to listen to the whole of this, but why do a lot of people go to the gym? You know, they want to tone up their body. They want their, you know, their six-pack. I would have a six-pack if it wasn't for a hernia. That's my excuse. But, <laughs> you know, they want the six-pack. They want the muscles. They want the toned body. They want... And sometimes you go to the gym, and I um, used to go to the gym, and um, you, you know, you see the people who are recovering from hospital and just getting some exercise, and then you see the others who are there just to tone that muscle up a wee bit more, and they make sure that you see it. You know, they're there, they've done that. They're, they're, you know, and again, there's nothing wrong with being fit, nothing wrong with um, getting decent exercise and so on. In fact, it's a very, very, very good thing. But when you worship your body, when it all becomes about how you look. I discovered an astonishing statistic. I don't know the figures for the United Kingdom, but for the United States, last year, $16 billion was spent on plastic surgery. Not plastic surgery for burns and other things like that, but plastic surgery to improve your looks. I'm tempted to say that it would cost a lot to improve a lot of our looks, but... Uh, I won't go there. Um, but, you know, why? Why? And tattoos. Now, in one sense, you can look at tattoos and you can say, there's no harm there. It's just, you know, a bit of art, some decoration on your body. And in a way, that's right. But in another sense, it's very interesting that all the pagan cultures had just a big, um, and it's why the Old Testament was so strong about it, had this big emphasis on uh, people not having tattoos because uh, it was considered to be degrading to the body. I'm, I'm not sure. I've watched in Dundee as the society has gone on over the past 25 years. There are now about five times more tattoo parlors than there were when I came here. More coffee shops, more tattoo parlors, and more secondhand. I mean, if you go up Albert Street where we live, it's got everything in Albert Street. You know, it's the street with, with, with everything. But there's two uh, tattoo parlors there now. Well, maybe for some people it's harmless, but for other people, what, what is all that about? Or this week, a report came out that the computer program or app that is most likely to cause mental illness, do you know what it is? It's Instagram. And for those of you who don't know what Instagram is, Instagram is you take a photo and you post it, basically, and it goes on Instagram. Um, and it's quite amazing how many people look at the photos. But why would it cause mental illness? Or that's what they were saying, because people worry so much about their appearances. So you're a young girl, and you look at all these other photographs of all these young girls who seem perfect, and you feel horrible. So you get a real thing about your appearance, because that's what really matters. So I think that goes on in our culture, and I think what also goes on in our culture is this obsession with sex, not as an act of love, but just for our personal pleasure. And it's difficult to think of a television drama that doesn't go down that route. It's difficult to think of, of um, 
you know, almost any perspective where people think, well, that, surely that's what it's all about. It's just for our personal pleasure. Well, the Bible's attitude is entirely different. God has created us to know and worship Him. God also created us as sexual beings. Sex is not a result of the fall. It's how God created us. We are to express that according to the nature that God has given us. But that expression depends on the first thing, the right worship. You can reverse that and you can say if we go wrong on sex and sexuality, then we'll also go wrong on the worship. But what Paul is saying here is just as the Gentiles exchanged the worship of God for idols, so there is now an exchange in terms of sex, rather than being what God has created for, it becomes something that degrades people's humanness. Sex, within the context of what God had created it for, marriage, ennobles people's humanness. There are some who are Christians, and by the way, make sure there are young people who are taught this. Make sure your kids are taught this. Sex is not bad, and it's not dirty. Don't ever, ever teach them that. It's a gift that God has given, and, but you, you don't teach them the values and the way that our society looks at it. You know, people, um, this uh, program that they want to put into schools to train people or to teach children about sex and primarily about LGBT things, they're saying it's preventing bullying and we need to teach sex with values. Do you know what I have to say as a Christian? What you should say as a Christian is, amen, we need to teach sex with values, but whose? I want to teach God's values because that's the best thing for all children. That's why today it is so sad that this exchange of the glory of the created God for the lie of human beings inventing their own pleasures is going to be accepted by the church. I, I, I find just, just a sad, sad thing. And then verses 26 to 27, look what happens. Because of this, again, notice God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Now, he describes a particular aspect of, of sex and sexual relations. I don't think that this is exclusive. He's not saying this is the only sexual sin. He, later on, he'll talk about adultery. Um, Jesus talks about looking at somebody lustfully. There are many, many aspects, but Paul focuses on this, I think, because in Roman culture, it was something that was very strong. Both the Jewish tradition and the Old Testament saw homosexual practice as a particular evidence of the Gentiles' rejection of God. They exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones against the natural law that God has given to all His people. Now, forgive me while I just deal with a couple of objections to this, because these verses have been the most twisted verses in the whole Bible in the past four decades, because it's clear what it says, but people desperately wanted to say something else. So they get very clever people to come up with all different kinds of ideas, and I just want to deal with some of them. Some say this is only about what's called pedestry, male-boil relationships, and they say that the Greeks and the Romans didn't know anything about homosexuality. Anyone who reads any Roman or Greek history would realize how ludicrous 
that is. That's a bit like saying the Scotch knew nothing about alcohol. You know, it just doesn't, it, it really doesn't fit the history. That big objection, the Greeks and the Romans didn't, but it's just not true. For the Greeks and the Romans themselves, you can read and research this if you want, they regarded heterosexual relationships as natural and homosexual acts as unnatural. That is why Paul uses precisely this language. He is not using Hebrew language, he is using Roman language. And he is, well, for example, Aristotle, the affection between a man and a woman happen according to nature. Now, the problem for Paul was, despite both Roman and Greek culture saying that, Roman and Greek culture had an enormous amount of homosexual unpractice. And what Paul was saying here was, look, these people know this, but they're inconsistent with what they know. The Egyptians, the Canaanites had same-sex practice. Julius Caesar was bisexual and was described in one famous statement as every woman's man and every man's woman. The Emperor Nero had a boy named Sporus castrated and then married him and lived with him as a wife. Now, it, these things were not uncommon. In fact, they were very well known. That's why when Paul writes this, everyone he was writing to would know what he was speaking about. Do you know what is happening in our culture is this. It's not that we're progressing from the ignorance of the Bible and the ignorance of the Romans and the ignorance of the Greeks into the enlightenment that's been brought us by a modern understanding of human nature. What's happening is this. Because we're rejecting the revelation that God gives us through His Word and the revelation God gives us in nature, we are not progressing, but we are regressing to a Greco-Roman pagan view of the world. And if you think that that brings sexual liberty and joy, you need to understand what went on. Sex slavery was very common. Abuse of children was very common. Particularly denigration of women was very, very common. And if we go against the Bible's teaching, that is what we are going back to. In the name of liberty, we are enslaving ourselves. Natural, the word that's used is physics. We get the words physics from it. God's created order. To act against nature is to go against that created order. Now, here I think the biggest objection comes. Somebody will say, but it's my nature. This is how I feel. And then there is a problem and a difficulty, and yet not such a difficulty. Because my nature, and I'll just talk about mine, my nature is fallen. So my nature might be to have a bad temper. My nature might be to be proud. My nature might be to be greedy. In fact, if I was to list all the sins that I'm conscious of in my own life that I would regard as natural, not enforced upon me by others, I doubt that any of you would want to know me, and I wouldn't want to know myself. So when people say, well, it's natural, it's part of my nature, and I, I go by what I feel. Well, no, because our nature is fallen. If I say my nature is to get angry and violent, or let's say, and, and I've heard, I, I remember with just sheer shock listening to a male student in the Christian Union telling me, I'm going to sleep with as many girls as I can because that's my nature. And he's a professing Christian. I'm going, what? How do, you even, how do you even begin to get there? But that's where that argument comes. 
We as a society are obsessed with sexuality and expressions of it. And I think we need to learn to say, well, look, what our nature is, and that's why I love people like Vaughan Roberts, um, Anglican vicar, wonderful Bible teacher, who will stand up and openly say, I'm same-sex attracted, but I follow what the Bible says. So I think it's wrong, and he said, I'm going to be celibate. You know, I'm not going to go against what God says. And good for him and others, Sam Albury, uh, if you want some help in this subject, Sam Albury's wee book is God Anti-Gay, is just absolutely tremendous. Some people, one other objection just to mention is they go, I keep hearing this all the time, Jesus said nothing about it. Well, Jesus said nothing about a lot of stuff that we don't do, but actually he did. Mark 10, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let, not, let no man separate. Jesus is saying God created humankind male and female, that God instituted marriage as a heterosexual union, and what God has thus united, we should not separate. Somebody will say, but wait a minute, I feel that I am um, same-sex attracted. Are you, are you suggesting that I should go and get therapy? And I'm, I'm actually probably not, no. I've seen some of the therapy things, and they're awful. They're not Christian. What I'm suggesting is this. It's the same for you as it is for the heterosexual person who's single. If, it, if you're heterosexual here and you're single and you're saying, well, my society says that I'm not fully human because I'm not having sex, so therefore I should go. No, that's, you, you're misunderstanding. You're listening to our culture and you're listening to our society. You're not listening to what God says. And here's, this should be the absolute kicker for you, the absolute conclusion Jesus was fully human, and he was never married, never had sex. That's really important to understand and to grasp. Jesus did teach about it. Okay, I'm going to bring all this together, just finish it up by applying it in a, in, a, in a broader context. Calvin says that when the truth of God is turned to a lie, his glory is obliterated. When the truth of God is turned to a lie, his glory is obliterated. Why do you think there's such an obsession with this subject in, within humanity, because the devil wants to destroy us, and he wants us to act against how God has made us, and he wants to distort. I, I had a thought, and please take this or leave this as, as I need to think about it a bit more, but I, for me it was helpful. Why is there no marriage or giving in marriage in heaven? Well, let me offer a suggestion that marriage is about intimacy and union. But ultimately, marriage is a picture of our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is not a picture of marriage. Marriage is not God. That's why it's very possible to be single and to truly glorify God, and it's very possible to be married and to not glorify God and be utterly miserable. Um, I know that marriage is a gift of God, and I know that many of you want it who are single, but don't want it more than God because you could end up in a marriage which is dreadful. But why is that? Marriage is about intimacy and union. It's a picture of our relationship with God. We don't need the picture in heaven because we will have intimacy with Him. That's why when you read Revelation 7 or all these marvelous pictures in Revelation, just at the end there of, of, of what heaven is like. That's why I think all this talk about 
identity being in our sexuality is so wrong and such a distraction. I'm sorry, you're not heterosexual, you're not homosexual. The identification of who you are with sexuality is a late 19th century, early 20th century phenomenon, primarily occurring with Freud. But it's not what you are. What you are is a human being made in the image of God. And although your sex and sexuality is part of that, it's a relatively, in in longer-term eternal things, it's a relatively unimportant part. Our identity is primarily whether we are in Christ or whether we are out of Christ. You know, here's the great thing. In the Roman world, you know, those of you who would be tempted to go, oh, this society is just getting so bad and it's just so terrible and it's so hard to be a Christian in it. You know what I want to say to you? I want to say to you, rejoice because we're returning to the New Testament. You said you wanted a New Testament church. Well, now we have to be it or we're going to die. And that's a tremendous challenge. I think when Sinclair was going through Peter, 1 Peter, it was just so encouraging because you're thinking, Peter, are you here? Did you see our society? Because you're writing about our culture. Well, of course God knows. And the Roman culture is our culture, a confused, sexually obsessed, messed up society. And it was into this society that the gospel was brought. And it was this gospel that turned the world upside down. And it was this gospel that stopped women taking their unwanted babies and leaving them out to die in infanticide because the Christians came and collected them and looked after them. And it was this gospel that stopped sex slavery. And it was this gospel that gave forgiveness to prostitutes who were the lowest of the low and yet used by the richest and most powerful. And it was this gospel that said to the homosexual, as Paul says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleansed. And it's this gospel that said to the prostitute and the pornographer and everyone, you were washed, you were cleansed. Our society says you're trash. Our society says you're dust, you're dirt. Our society puts you aside. But the gospel doesn't do that. The gospel picks you up and Christ renews you and Christ redeems you. And we have great hope and we have great news. And it's great news for everybody, whatever their sexuality. So, I would plead with you, don't exchange the truth of God for a lie. Whatever lie the father of lies sells to you in our society. I would plead with you, if you're watching pornography, if you're exchanging the truth of God for a lie, it's a lie don't. If you go against the Bible's clear teaching on sex and sexuality, you're exchanging the truth of God for a lie. If you worship and put before God any created thing or being, then you are exchanging the truth of God for a lie. But if you follow Jesus, you're following the truth. Jesus will never lie to you. He will never let you down. He will never fail you. We really have a very simple choice. We can say, we are going to follow the fickle, changing standards of this world. And if you want to know what that's like, ask anyone here who's over 60 what society was like in their youth. And could they ever have imagined what it'd be like today? And then project forward. I get in so much trouble for saying this, but I'll say it again. I have no doubt whatsoever that fairly soon, if we carry on this trajectory, not only polygamy, not only will prostitution be called sex work, and already people are saying, can we teach it as a career in schools? Not only that, but I'm sorry, I am absolutely convinced 
that pedophilia in some form or other will also become accepted. And what we regard as horrific now, people will look at in 20 or 30 years' time and go, oh, they were so backward then, but now we're advanced. Because that's what happens. The devil never, ever stops lying. He keeps pushing us. We must, you know, the reason this is so important is not because we want to attack people or defend ourselves or have a, have a go at any particular group of people. It's because we love people and we believe absolutely with all our heart that without God, they are without hope. If you follow Jesus, you're following the truth. You can choose the fickle, changing standards of this world, or you can choose the light and beauty of Christ. When Peter from Uganda, still can't say his second name, when Peter from Uganda came here, talked a wee bit about what's happening in this culture. You know how he looked at me? And almost what he said was, how can you live in such a backward nation? It's as if I'd gone to Africa and seen cannibalism and said, what a bunch of savages. Well, it's reversed. Peter from Uganda heard about some of the stuff that's going on here and he said, how can you people be so backward? That's where we're at, friends. And that's why we as Christians, without hating or fearing anybody else, need to stand on what God says in his word. And you know what will happen? You will find that people who may say that they hate us and what we stand for, because of the love we have for Jesus and therefore the love we have for them, many will come to believe. I will mention one man only came to this university and was very much part of the LGBT activist group. Very vociferous against the kind of teaching that I've just given today. But people in the CU loved him and cared for him without going along with his views. He came along to church, to Central, to ourselves and others. And God worked in his life and he's converted. He's now working for the Free Church in Perth and training at ETS. Do you know what he writes? I never experienced such love and community as I did in the Christian church, even when I was gay. And he would still say I'm same-sex attracted. Now, that's, that's what it should be about. I'm pleading with people not to be homophobic and, and oh, no, we welcome everybody. But I'm also pleading, please don't. Don't give up on people. But if you love them, don't give up on the gospel and what Jesus has taught us. Don't think that by compromising, you're winning people. No, by compromising, you're losing people. And it's just wonderful that we've got this great gospel. So may God grant that we would hear his word, that we would live by it, and that we would love Jesus and love his people and love this world into which he has called us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and Thank you for its clarity. The, the devil always wants to come and say, well, did God say this and did he mean this and did he mean that? But we know that you did not come to confuse us. And just as Paul wrote into that sin-sick society in Rome, so it's a word that's for our sin-sick society. Bless each person here. Those of us who struggle with some of the issues mentioned here, Lord, have mercy upon us those of us who are not quite sure about 
where all this fits, and we, we still have many different thoughts. Those of us who are concerned about how we witness in a culture which goes the very opposite of what we've just been hearing from your word, grant, O oh Lord, that you would grant us wisdom, and grant us compassion, and grant us love, and enable us to live for your glory, and to see the beauty of Christ. And Lord, please don't let us ever exchange the glory of God, our Creator, for the lie of the devil. For we ask it in your name. Amen.